The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode. It's so good to feel your energy again today. No matter where you are, I just love how you all come in week after week. And those of you who can't join us live, thanks for listening in the archives. I get so many good comments from people. I've had just an amazing, amazing week of readings. The synchronicities are off the charts. The evidence is astounding. A beautiful, beautiful Mother's Day reading for a couple of parents and their son just showed them that this is so real. The afterlife is absolutely a reality. And I'm just so grateful to be part of this work. I can barely stand it sometime. Well, today we have such a fascinating guest, Kathy Bird. She is the author of The Boy Who Knew Too Much. I saw this book cover, read the uh, subtitle, An Astounding True Story of a Young Boy's Past Life Memories, and knew I had to read it. Uh, One of my favorite books I've ever read was called Soul Survivor, S-O-U-L. There's another one about Navy SEALs, but it's just different, about a little boy who remembered his past life memories. I loved it so much, I passed it on to Ty, and he loved it so much, he shared it with other people, which really surprised me. And so I sensed a similar story with Kathy's, Kathy and her son, and indeed, it's very similar, but of course, lots of great differences. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Kathy, I know you're standing by. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm happy to be here. And where is here for you right now? Here is Southern California, Los Angeles. Okay. Well, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We're good. Always good. Where is yours here? Right now, I'm uh, just outside of Hilton Head, South Carolina, but uh, just a couple days from now, Ty and I hit the road in our RV for our annual Messages of Hope tour, so I'm looking forward to that in our about five months on the road this time. Wow, okay. Yeah. Your schedule, that's great. Yeah. So you, I'm looking at your biography, you're a residential real estate broker, mother of two young children, never thought you'd be a writer, but let me tell you, your book is Great. It's a Hay House book, which is quite a quite an achievement. Congratulations on that. Yeah. And I know it's all because of your two year old son who began sharing memories that I'm gonna let you talk about. Okay. So uh let's 
start back a little bit before Christian, your son, started talking about past lives. Tell me about your background and your spiritual background as a prelude to what we're going to talk about. Okay, so I was raised as a Christian and um, got involved in the church again once I had my daughter. We joined the church and baptized our children. Um, so we were, we were, you know, periodic churchgoers, but the idea of reincarnation was something that was a bit taboo to me. You know, grow, living in California, you kind of hear it all growing up, but it was still outside of my beliefs. So it came as quite a shock when my son, who was my second child, um, began pretty blatantly talking about a previous lifetime. Whoa. I can imagine it would, and I know I've read the, I've read every word of your book, so I know that I know the beginning and the end. But I'm putting myself in our listeners' uh, position, and uh, wow, that's got to shake up your belief system. So we'll dive into that, but back up a little bit. Well, let's tell everybody. Hmm, let me ask my team how we should go about this. They say, "Don't give it away yet." <laughs> <laughs> don't give away who they oh, that's so funny who he he uh claimed to have been in a past life what were the first signs that he wasn't like other little boys okay so his first was the affinity for baseball which was a little bit out of the ordinary for our family because his father's german and there was really no baseball happening in our household um so from the age of like one and a half he saw some of the neighborhood kids playing and it became his obsession and like his obsession to the point where he would only wear baseball clothes. You know, even in the summer, he had on high socks, baseball pants, the whole outfit would, would um, just carry a baseball bat, carry a glove with him wherever he went. So that was kind of the first thing that was odd and a little obsessive. I'm going to stop you here for a second because I'm holding your book and I'm opening to the, I love when books have photos in the middle and you have this great big color photo section. And here's a, a typical week's worth of his dirty baseball pants and him sleeping with baseballs we collected. So you're, you're not just kidding. That's the only thing he wore, right? Yeah. The only thing, like it would cause a temper tantrum if you try to put him, even for like a family photo, we couldn't do it. He had to wear baseball clothes, even for the Christmas cards. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I found it interesting that you, you went along with this to the point of catching and throwing balls with him for hours every day. Hours. I mean, it was literally like, I mean, it would be sometimes 10 hours a day, every waking moment. Yeah. And, and he started talking. He, he wasn't an early talker, but some of the first things he said when he was two was, you know, I used to be a tall baseball player or I was a tall baseball player and I would correct his grammar. Um, and then one day he, he made it very clear to me that what he was trying to say is that he was a tall baseball player and he said tall like daddy. So that was kind of my first inclination that this was something different. So, um, I used to be a tall person. Now, did you think he just had a fanciful imagination? Because I, I talked to a lot of people who saw spirits as children and their parents always said, oh, that's just your imagination. Right. And I was the same. I, I really did brush it off for quite a while until he got a little more specific. Oh, let's see. So how about give me another specific and we'll backtrack a little bit more to his other characteristics. Um, yeah. I mean, it was really like right when he turned three was when he got very specific, like, um, you know, 
when I was a tall baseball player, I stayed in hotels almost every night. And I would say, oh, really? And, you know, I would joke with him and I'd say, oh, did you fly on airplanes? And he said, most, no, mostly trains. And, and these things just shocked me because he'd never been on a train. He never played with trains. He only played baseball, you know, he didn't even play with toys. So when he would come up with stuff like that, it was so matter of fact and really not like fantasy speaking. That's one thing about all these kids that have the past life memories. When they're talking about it, it's in a very serious adult-like tone um, and it's not fantasy. That is such a good point because, well, you can tell us what was he like the rest of the time as far as his storytelling or conversation. Right. So, um, you know, he, he was a little hard to understand at that age. That's one thing. But the times that he would talk about it was really the critical thing is that it was right before he would go to sleep at night or right when he would wake up from a nap is when oh, these things would come out. Okay, so in a, from a standpoint of somebody who teaches mediumship, we call that the hypnagogic state. So right when you're falling asleep, or that is when those thoughts from the subconscious or really the superconscious mind can drift in. But you probably didn't know that at the time. I did not. And I did not also did not know because I had no idea that this was a thing that children between the ages of two to six or so do frequently have past life memories. I had no idea that there were common threads, like it would usually be at that state, you know, right before falling asleep or after waking up. So all of that kind of came to me slowly as I got more deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so it feels like a good time just to say that you, you did become much more educated about it, and especially through speaking to other experts about it. So really, you couldn't ignore yeah. this, I guess. Yeah, correct. And the first person I went to, of course, was the pastor at my church, um, who kind of insinuated that he might be possessed by the spirit of a dead person. What did it, um, do you remember his exact words? <laughs> his exact words, um, like an unwelcome spirit kind of thing is, is the wording, but it was enough to let me know that it was something dark and not good and unfriendly. <laughs> so isn't that just so interesting? There are always several ways of looking at things. Yeah. And, um, Oh, yeah. And this immediately go to the scary part. <laughs> right, right. And I already had a little bit of that, that guilty conscience already as a Christian for even asking about it, you know, and basically, the my pastor just said, well, that's not part of our faith. It's not something that we believe in, you know, but it could be this. And so that really is what drove me down more the scientific path to okay. figure out what it was. Well, I, I think it's interesting that you even went down that scientific path because at that point, being a little frightened and 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 then, of course, there's worried what other, other people will say and maybe this is wrong and maybe he is possessed. Most people would just drop it. Right, right. And definitely not talk about it. So I didn't talk about it much. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it that compelled you to keep digging? Yeah, I would say um, coming into contact with Carol Bowman was the first thing that happened. And I just sent her an email and just kind of unloaded everything that had happened, you know. And who is she? Carol Bowman um, wrote a book called Children's Past Lives. Um, and so she really is an expert in this field. And you spoke about Soul Survivor. She's actually the one that worked with the Leininger family to wow. um, help them come to terms with, with his past life memories of being a fighter pilot in World War II. 
I, I remember if I just I, – we're going to spend all our time on your story, but the, the <laughs> most stunning part in that whole book was when this little boy is like eight years old, James Leininger, goes yeah. to a reunion of the aircraft carrier squadron that he had allegedly been part of in a previous life. And he walks up to this man who's in his 80s and says, why, you're John Doe, I'm using his real name. I recognize your voice anywhere. <laughs> I know. I get and he was just hearing you say that. I know. <laughs> and you know what's amazing? This will add on to that story and make it very – very relevant is that Christian was six and James was about 18. Um, James came to Los Angeles. And at that point, him and my mom, him, his mother and I had been in touch. So we met up with him and we went to dinner. It was just Christian, James and I. And then we went to the Santa Monica Pier afterwards. And it was so special because it was the first time for both of them that they had ever met another person with the same experience that they had had. Yeah. And they really do still have a really strong bond. It's pretty amazing. And James bought Christian a Yankees hat. I'll never forget that on the pier. (laughs) Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Now the experts will tell you, and you say it quite a few times in your book that most children who have these experiences tend to start to forget it at a certain age. And so by this time, was most were most of James's memories just what he had been told he said until that age? Um, well, James kind of goes in and out of it. And, and he was really kind of, he's gone through periods where he's really struggled with it as well, because his were a little traumatic because he had such a traumatic death and he had nightmares as a child. So, and he also got bullied a lot. Like, you know, he told Christian how he was so bullied in school that he was even like suicidal at one point. But he, he was so sweet and supportive to Christian. He said, don't worry, though, you won't get bullied because baseball players are, you know, cool. <laughs> it was very cute. That's but, very um, nice. Yeah, but they have such a deep connection. I would love to get them together again soon. But um, but I don't know if you know about this, but the update with James is that he, a year ago, right before COVID, um, went into the military and he got nice. through his basic training and he has very quickly accelerated through the ranks, which is really remarkable. Oh my gosh! Which service? You know, I don't know the. De- I forget the details. I'm not. I, 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 but I do need to get back to you with that, and I would. Yeah, love to it would be awesome with if Andrea. Yeah, with his mom. I got a little lip twitched there. It'd be pretty cool if he went in the Navy like his former life. <laughs> I think he might. I think there was something where he couldn't fly for some reason, but I think it might be the Navy. I think yeah. he might be right. Well, back to Christian and and your interactions with him. So, why don't you tell us how this was more than just throwing nerf balls in the house which he did (laughs) yeah which he did do that too yeah um I mean what was so remarkable was that when he would come up with these things I mean one of the big things was he you know a lot of serendipitous things happened where he got to go places and meet people and that then things would come out so when he was two years old I put a little video on YouTube of him playing baseball and within a week or so I get an we get an email from a casting director saying they want to fly him to Boston to be in a movie with Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. which we barely even believed at first. But a few weeks later, we were on a plane to go to Boston to film the movie. Um, and he had this little baseball playing cameo role in the movie, That's My Boy. <laughs> it was funny, but yeah, that movie's a little R-rated. Um, but the thing that was remarkable about it is while we were there, um, I got to take him to see a game at Fenway Park and the Yankees were playing the Red Sox. We were only there for a week, which was supposed to be only four days, but it rained. And so we got to stay and go to a baseball game. Um, And while we were in the stadium, Christian saw this giant picture of Babe Ruth and got so upset um, that we actually had to leave the stadium. But he, 
he had a little bat in his hand. He said, I don't like him. He was mean to me. And mm-hmm. there's a point where like other people were walking by and and one one guy even commented like, oh, that kid's onto something because Babe Ruth was kind of a jerk. <laughs> that That is stunning. So <laughs> do you know, now how old was Christian at this point? He was two years old when he filmed the movie with Adam Sandler. He was just about to turn three. So here's a, you know, three-year-old, two-year-old who, had he ever seen a picture of Babe Ruth? No. No. And looks up and says, that man was mean to me. He was oh, mean my. to me. Yeah. Now, at this point, had you been dealing with the afterlife experts with Carol Bowman? We kind of got off track with that. Yeah, not yet. That came later. Okay. So what I was able to do is share those stories with her about, you know, going on trains and staying in hotels almost every night. I mean, even even like a 10-year-old wouldn't know that Major League Baseball players stay in hotels. Like, that just shocked me when he said that. Mm-hmm. Um And so then I met up with Carol when he was three years old and she's the one who said, you know what you need to do is when you're asking him questions, you know, don't ask leading questions, just listen when he's in the mood to talk about it, take notes um, and show him pictures from that era. And so I did do that. And he eventually pointed to a teammate of Babe Ruth and said, that's me. So here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And who was that? That person was Lou Gehrig. Yeah. yeah. So it just, you know, it comes down to, once again, why is it these famous people often are reincarnations of famous people? And I'm hearing right now, well, I have, I know why I'm, what I'm hearing from a spiritual perspective. Do you have a, well, an the, idea of that? The, the, well, the famous person, I don't know, but the I'll tell you one thing is that with these kids, at least with the past life memories, it's very common that it is male and it's very common that it is people whose lifetimes ended early, hmm. you know, like in the case of James Leininger and tragically where they're really it's there's unfinished business. And how old was Lou Gehrig when he passed? I want to say he was 39 I know I it was he was late 30s or 37. It was something like I that. Believe and I get confused because the year was like 39 or 41 or mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right around there. You know what? I've, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I'm having all these really strange synchronicities this week, strange and magical in a way, but just pointing to the fact that we're part of something so much greater. And I just got news today that a very, very, very dear friend of mine in Florida is in hospice passing from Lou Gehrig's disease really? and, I, and learned this today, right when we're recording this show. Now wow. I, I knew, I knew she had it, but hadn't heard that it had gotten that bad. And I just thought, there you go again, these, these wow. little synchronicities. The synchronicities, right. You yeah. find out today. And that was one thing when I found out, you know, when he told me Lou Gehrig, I wasn't exactly excited because I did not know anything about Lou Gehrig other than the fact that he was famous for having Lou Gehrig's disease Mm. (laughs) or ALS. Right. So only when, um, you know, he gave me more and more details. And as you know, from my book, I got very into the life of Lou Gehrig and his mother. And really one of the main reasons I wrote my book was really to kind of set the story about their lives. Oh, I want to talk about that. I'm making a note. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, Fast forward now to you're talking to Carol Bowman. She 
an expert on children's past lives. You must have found her because even though it conflicted with what your pastor said and with your religion, you can't deny what's happening with your son. So did you find her just through your own searches on the internet or looking at books? I did. I found her like through my own searches. And the other thing is she does past life regressions, which to me, that was like really forbidden kind of thing too. So I was, you know, sending these emails, just hoping for some help. Um, you know, and it's amazing from the beginning to the end, how much my mind opened about all of these things. And I got rid of all that feeling of a taboo, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really got into it. We'll talk about that in the second <laughs> half of the show. It was fascinating, the turnaround. And that's that's part of the, the the thing that I love to happen on this show where people show how it's okay to change your belief system when it comes from the heart. It's okay to be open to new things and what kind of miracles that leads to. Wow. Right. So it's funny how our messages are so similar, even though you and I, like our paths are different. But really the the other reason I wrote the book was – you know, to show that consciousness survives the death of our bodies and that we will be reunited with our loved ones. And I know that's a big part of your message as well. Well, that's why you're on the show. I love Aww. it. You can, you can talk about that <laughs> as much as you want, because that's the whole point of this show. And you yeah. just nailed it right there. I love that. Yeah. So there's these great pictures, now, really great pictures in the book of Christian, three years old, warming up for his ceremonial first pitch at Pepperdine University and another one at some other place. But it, tell us about that really big first pitch. Yeah. So when he was um, three years old, he got invited to throw a first pitch for the Dodgers. Um, and he was actually, it was just a couple weeks after his fourth birthday when he did it. Um, and that is where the AP photographer got the photograph that's on the cover of my book. Such and, uh, a great photo. <laughs> oh, thank you. And that it received like some really great awards, like it went viral. Um, yeah, it's a special picture that we still cherish. Um, and the other thing with Lou Gehrig was that his mechanics at that age were very similar to Lou Gehrig. He's a lefty hitter, lefty thrower. Wow. Um, Christian also has really deep dimples, just like Lou Gehrig, where the left one is deeper than the right one. No um, kidding. So, yeah. So there's some physical similarities too, which is kind of interesting. And then his father, I don't even think I have this in the book, but um, his father is from Germany and came here as an exchange student in high school. But his family is from the same small place in Germany that Lou Gehrig's parents immigrated from. I think that is in the book because when is I read it, it I, I thought, is it in there? How, okay. can, how can you deny that? Schleisig Holstein. Yeah, it's like this tiny little area, you know, and even their last names are similar. Like, like my, my mother-in-law's last name is Funk and Christina Gehrig's maiden name was Fack and they're from oh. the same town. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this falls under the category of you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> no, I know. You were talking about Christian and his dimples and the physical characteristics being somewhat like Luke Gehrig. And I'm sure you read about this in some of the research about how many times people have birthmarks that reflect injuries suffered in a previous lifetime. Correct. Yeah. And like it's very so, common, right? Yeah. A bullet hole will be a birthmark and things like that. Yeah, now yeah. that I've learned more about it, it's so intriguing. It is. That's, oh, I love this. Yeah. So so Carol Bowman, uh, was she associated with the University of Virginia and their 
research into past lives? She's actually not. So that's Dr. Tucker. And we did actually have Dr. Tucker come to our house when Christian was five. He came. Now, how did you hook up with him? Same thing. Like I sent an email and he said that he, you know, wanted to come before the memories disappeared. So he came when Christian was five and it was a little bit on the tail end. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like looking back, it was, you know, kind of right around the time when he, the memories were starting to fade a bit. Um, but the one thing that was really amazing when Dr. Tucker was here, um, Christian, he asked Christian about dying and that was something I had never asked him about. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, you know, how did you die? And Christian said, my body stopped working. Mm -hmm. And then he, at that point, he said, I picked her to be my mom and then she got old. And so then uh, Dr. Tucker started asking more questions like, well, where was she when you picked her? And he said she was being born. <laughs> so, and then he said, where Wait, were let's you? Stop. Let, let's stop a second because these are really fascinating for, for the long term. <laughs> we'll go back. Anybody who's not familiar with how Lou Gehrig died, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, oh my gosh, amyotrophic tropic lateral sclerosis. Where did that come from? I, so I got it almost right there. Um, it's one where literally the, the, the body doesn't work. Uh, you can't move. You're paralyzed. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, first, some of you who may not have known what Lou Gehrig's disease is might say, well, yeah, everybody passes when their body stops working. But his literally didn't, he couldn't move. Right. That so, is such a good point. Yeah. And so for a five-year-old, to say that about somebody who he has not researched is pretty phenomenal. And yeah. now he's saying that let's get over to the part here where it says he picked he picked you to be his mother from the spirit world. Is that what in he was this saying? lifetime? Correct. So he he basically told Dr. Tucker that when I was born, he was in the sky and he saw me being born and he picked me and then mm -hmm. I got old. So I was actually 41 when he was born. So I guess oh, that's what he meant by that. You did get old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. He had, to, he had to wait a long time. <laughs> so at that point when he's five years old and talking to this man who visits the, the researcher, Dr. Tucker, did, did Christian know that he was unusual for having these thoughts? Did he know what was up? Not really. Like at that point, you know, there's so little and they're so unfiltered and you really just get the honest to goodness, spontaneous answers. Yeah. And it's so impressive. Here's a, a professor and researcher scientist from the University of Virginia that's very well known for uh, work that started with Dr. Ian Stevenson on past children who remember past lives would actually go and take the time and go to the expense to fly to California to visit you. So he clearly took you seriously. Right, right. And I mean, it was really great to meet Dr. Tucker too, because he also came from like an evangelical Christian background. Um, so it just kind of normalized things for us a bit. So by the time he came to talk to you, had he, his beliefs changed? Um, oh yeah. I mean, he's been the, he's the University of Virginia medical school um, director of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences um, okay. for the Division of Perceptual Studies. So well, that's, that's what he does. Yeah. Right. So we have to go to a break now, but don't anybody go away because we're going to dive into this even deeper with Kathy Bird, mother of a son who lived a past life. We'll be right back. 
Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Welcome back, everybody. We're having such a great chat today with Kathy Bird, author of The Boy Who Knew Too Much, an astounding true story of a young boy's past life memories. It's way more than that, Kathy, because you just dove in completely and did some past life regressions, which we're going to get to in a minute. But we we ended at the break talking about Dr. Tucker, who came from the University of Virginia, and he had once been like you were. A devoted Christian and thought this might not be quite the right path to go down. And here he is now interviewing your son. You gave a couple of answers that he, that Christian gave him about his body stopped working and he had picked you as his mother when you were born. When you were born, that's kind of hard to wrap one's head around. Do you remember anything else from that visit? Um, the other thing that really stood out to me from that visit. Um, when Dr. Tucker left, I, you know, I told him that for a few months, Christian had been telling me that I was Lou Gehrig's mother. Like mm-hmm. he kept saying you were her. <laughs> and I never took that really as anything other than him trying to like reconcile the two lives together. And so, um, see, you just threw a whole wrench in this whole thing. Everybody's <laughs> listening, saying, okay, maybe her son, but now we have two Oh, the mom. And for me, like I was constantly looking for evidence. Like I'm a skeptic by nature. So, you know, Christian could tell me so many things and I would look them up and they would be correct. And, you know, it would go on and on and on. Like he'd say, oh, we wore metal cleats, but we didn't wear helmets. And I would look it up and that was true. Or we played all of our games during the day because there were no lights and it was true. So, but it still wasn't enough for me. And, um, so I asked Dr. Tucker, I said, what do you think of these past life regressions? Thinking that he would completely poo-poo it because that mm-hmm. is not part of their research at the university. And he said, well, there's been some pretty, you know, undeniable things that have come out of past life regressions. So he wasn't condoning it, um, but it was enough to make me curious because I really at this point was just researching what's going on with my son. So I did a week later, I went and did a past life regression and um, while under hypnosis, basically relived Lou Gehrig's mother's life in detail with tears and dying and going to heaven and being reunited with Lou Gehrig. And I mean, it was life changing for me, really, even though I was still skeptical the minute it was over. So let's talk about that because there are past lives regressions where, well, many of them people think, well, I was just making all that up. And and anybody listening is going to say, well, you went in with the preconceived idea that you might have been her. So that could have something right. to do with this. So right. uh, what convinced you to give it some credence? I mean, the things that came out for me, so what they do is they record it, right? And so mm-hmm. you have this transcript and then it was transcribed into like 20 pages of 
him asking me questions, me answering and answering a lot of things that I couldn't even research. I had to like order death certificates and birth certificates. Like I even went through like the birth and death of other children and how they died and the age when they died and the time of year when they died. And it all turned out to be accurate according to death certificates that I ordered. You know, yeah, I even I talked about that. being cremated, right? I said, oh, my body was cremated. And I talked about my own funeral and her body was cremated. Like just things that, yeah, you could have guessed at that stuff, but when it was all correct is what really made me go, maybe this is real. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a caller to this show just last week. We take live callers the first Thursday of every month, and one asked about past life regressions and the value of it. And the answer from my guides was that it's, it can be useful, but for the most part, we're here to live this one and to learn what we can and help our yes. soul evolve in this one. So, But they did say it can be useful. What did you find useful in that? Absolutely. I agree with that so much, by the way. I want to go back a little bit to what you just said, um, because that was one thing Dr. Tucker said, too, is like this amnesia that we have when we're born, you know, how everything we come with a blank slate, basically. And it really does serve a purpose. Meaning that we don't remember past lives. We don't remember remember the ever life from which we just came. Correct. Like we come in as a fresh blank slate generally. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it really does allow us to embark on this new life independent of the memories from the past. And I do believe that is why kids, even when they have glimpses of these memories as babies, that it does disappear once they're school age, because they do, they need to be themselves and they need to go out and live this life. So I agree 100% with you that it, you know, it kind of is a, is is something that can hold you back, but it is also something where you can find healing. And I believe that's what we found too. And, and healing also for like, Oh gosh, like, I mean, it goes pretty deep, but, but Christina Garrick, Lou's mother had issues with his wife and to the point where she was isolated from him when he passed away and, and he carried a lot of guilt for that. So Christian would talk about that stuff with me, you know, like on a deep emotional level as he got older Give give us an example of what that conversation would be like. Well, he would kind of, to me, he didn't even want to talk about the wife. Like he knew that Lou Gehrig had a wife, right? How old was he at this time? He was probably six when he would talk about the wife, but he would say things to me like, she was drunk. She was a drunk. (laughs) Like, like, you know what? It was funny. Like she, he would talk to me as if I was Christina Gehrig who didn't get along with this woman, you know, and you know, it's funny when you're talking to, He's talking to you in this life as your mother now, but he's telling you about a past life when you were allegedly his mother then, which is just stunning. Stunning, right? And then so really what came out of the regressions for me, and I believe this is why it came out, um, is that I did did three regressions. And every time I somehow went back to that lifetime and different parts in that lifetime. So one of the times I was you know, it was like the last year of her life and she was living with a family. And I described these kids that lived in the house, their ages, they was a boy and a girl three years apart. I described short brown hair, you know, the whole family dynamic. And he asked me if I had anything, you know, that was important to me. And I said, yeah, I have some jewelry. And, you know, I described what it was. And I said, I want to give it to the little girl, but I'll probably have to give it to her mom to hold on to until she gets older. So let's well, stop a second here, just yeah. for clarity, because I found this so fascinating. The book is like, wow, she's she wasn't happy with one regression. She's gone back <laughs> two and three times, and this this entails a lot of research afterward. So you're saying that after uh, Lou Gehrig's mother's husband or his dad p- 
past, yeah. she went to live with another family. Did you know any of this? I didn't know any of that. It just all comes to me. You know, when you're in a regression, it kind of comes to you like a movie and you're just describing what you see, who you right. see, what you smell, what you feel, where the window is. I described the house. I even went and found the house that it was and it was the exact driveway that I had described. Yeah. And so you're even describing that this family you lived with had two children. And at this point, you don't know who they are or their names or what their ages were. So please continue. Yeah. And so as it turned out, so this was in, I want to say 1954 or so, and the kids were 10 and seven, I think. And so at that time they would have been 63 or so. Um, so I ended up, I went to the hall of fame, um, library in Cooperstown because Christian was there for a baseball camp and I was able to get access to all of the Gehrig's letters and, you know, memos to the Hall of Fame. And there was a family that was getting copies of a lot of the memorabilia and the letters and pictures. And I went and I found this family and there indeed was a Pastor Ken who was a, he was 73 year old pastor at the time. Um, and I reached out to him and Lou Gehrig's mother did live with his family and she did pass away there and she did leave them specific jewelry that I had described in my regression. And the children were the ages that you saw and it's just yeah. stunning. I mean, from a, from a medium's point of view, if any medium who would have seen these things in a reading would be to use Christian's vernacular, hitting it out of the park. Hitting it out of the park, and, yeah. And that's what you did. And well, of course, you didn't even have to try. You had a great uh, regression therapist, and you just and you relaxed enough, and you just hit a home run. You, and, you yeah, and there was it. just so much love. Like Jerome, who did these regressions with me, just made me feel so comfortable. And when I would be in these sad, sad situations, he would show such empathy, and yeah, it was amazing. And what's really wild or sad is that the. The pastor, the, the the man who was extremely close with mom Garrig, like she he was like a grandson to her. He ended up being the one who who really embraced the story and embraced it all. And his sister had a hard time dealing with it. She was three years younger and she was a realtor. So you she mean and the I, story of you coming out of the woodwork and saying yeah. my son says he or I say I was Yeah. <laughs> And then jewelry, like the whole thing, like she just could not handle the whole thing. But she would talk to me a bit about mom Gehrig and what she remembered. And, and we would talk about real estate. We talked about real estate. Hang on a second, please. I I need to make sure everybody's catching on to what's happening here. Okay. You go into regression because your son says he was Lou Gehrig and you were his mother in that lifetime. So you go into regression and say you were Lou Gehrig's mother. And in the regression, you see that you lived in when you were older with this family who had two young children, but now you, Kathy Bird, in this lifetime, find those two young children who are now older than you are, of course, and you track them down and tell them what you saw. You used to come and say, I was that Mrs. Gehrig who lived with you. And one of them is a pastor. A this pastor. Is, this is not fiction. <laughs> and we got to go visit him. We spent some, a lot of really special time with them too. But you were um, and, thinking he embraced it, but his sister did not, huh? Right, exactly. And even though it's not really part of his faith, he really did, did believe in the whole story and the whole, you know, the reincarnation, he would always say wasn't part of his faith, but he took the whole guilt aspect out of it and embraced it. Now, his sister passed away, I was going to say, about six months ago, which was really sad, of cancer. 
And she is was Pastor not, Ken still around? Pastor Ken is still around, and we spoke recently. We're still very close. He is just lovely. But that I love that the clincher in the book was that you could describe this jewelry that you, as Mrs. Mrs. Garrick, gave to his sister. That it was something right. she got in Japan, right? Right. And then the watch that Pastor Ken got, he sold that watch to buy a cabin in New Hampshire, and we actually got to go to that cabin, which was pretty cool. Wow. Now, did you feel any connection different than you'd feel from somebody else that might have been a leftover soul energy when you met him? Well, what was amazing was that here's this man who's, you know, a good 25 years older than me. And he would treat me, he kind of looked up to me, even though he didn't believe in reincarnation. He kind of treated me like I was mom Garrick, you know, like I had this crocheted shirt on. He says, oh, that's exactly something that Lou, that mom Garrick would make. No. <laughs> crochet. Wow. Yeah. So it was so special. This is the kind of thing that I, I deal with connecting across the veil every day. You've been living with this now for about a dozen years or more. How long? Yeah. First, how old is Christian? Yeah, Christian's 12. So yeah, it's been, he's almost 13. Yeah. And and so and you're all in now. Wow. <laughs> I know. It is something. I don't know if this happens with you, but being a medium as you are, I don't know if sometimes you have to like close off a bit. But when I'm in like business mode, like it's hard for me to even talk about my book because I just go into my current life. And, you know, Christian and I are at baseball tournaments every weekend. Um, you know, we have this day-to-day -day life where my book is really not a part of it and our story is not really a part of it but we kind of like delve back into it well i get that but this is my mine is <laughs> totally my life i'm all in except really? when we meet people when just in brief conversations i kind of feel them out whether we talk about it because it it's hard okay. to hide because it is such it is my life but right. I can, I get what you're saying. But I love so how that you stay in it because sometimes we we definitely get out of it. And then what happens now too is he gets bullied a bit. Or... I was just gonna ask that he does though. A huh? little bit, a little bit. Like he's on social media, and and somebody will write, "Oh, isn't he the one with a crazy mom?" <laughs> you know, poor oh, no, kid. no, it's not <laughs> him. They're not they're not bullying him. They're bullying. Well, they are. They do it at school too. <laughs> oh, you think you're Lou Gehrig? But it's not people who've read the book, and it's not people yeah. who know us and. You know, we try really hard to just have compassion and, you know. Does he just, handle that well? He does. He does. We try to, he, as he gets older, he's really dealing with it really well. And um, and I guess he's kind of lucky because he went viral on YouTube as a kid. And I say lucky, not that he went viral, but lucky that he's always had to deal with kind of being in the limelight because independent of the whole Lou Gehrig thing, his baseball videos went viral and have like, yeah. you know, 20 million views per video. So a lot of kids, whenever we play baseball, kids will come up to him. I mean, he was umpiring the other day and a parent came up to him. I don't even know anyone knows who he is there. And he's like, oh, I love all your videos. <laughs> and that's the thing. He, didn't, know, so... he didn't get that that notoriety because of the Lou Gehrig story. No. It's because he played baseball 10 yeah, hours a day exactly. and so... had all these videos of him pitching perfectly at age three. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of good that he had to deal with that because then when this other stuff came and, you know, there's some interviews that he can't, like we did an inside edition interview and it went viral on TikTok recently, even like it, all this stuff keeps recurring, keeps coming back to get him. He's like, Oh no, not that interview. 
<laughs> and he was on the Dr. Oz show, and I saw that in, in, when he Did was you? 11, and he he's, he had he had by that point started to lose the connection and the memories. Is is it all gone now? Well, I mean, the connection is still, it's funny, because when we think of Lou Gehrig and Mom Gehrig, it's almost like they're members of our family, but we don't think of ourselves as them, if that makes sense. Oh, it does make perfect sense. And and for those of you who, you know, this is your first introduction to this story, I really recommend you read the book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, because there is so much evidence in it. You're just getting a little taste of it here today, but it's, just, it's like Soul Survivor and this one, both beautifully written books that just leave you saying, well, unless they're totally making this up, how are you going to not give some credence to it? And I know you're not making it up because you have too many witnesses. You have the regressions on tape. And let's go back to what you said in the first half. You did the regressions to set the story straight about Lou and his mother. What story did you want to set straight and did how did you deal well, with it? Well, it's so funny. So this stuff's kind of petty, but, you know, in, in their lifetime, um, Lou Gehrig's wife was Eleanor Gehrig, and she did a movie in 1942, The Pride of the Yankees, and painted his mother as this austere German woman. You know, in my regressions, this woman was funny. She was like right. laughing and making jokes. And when she would talk about Eleanor, she would say, Oh, she's a funny lady. And, you know, and I would I talk of in this way. So I thought, wow, I want people to know that this is like a wonderful, fun loving woman, you know. And so when I wrote the book, like I really wanted people to get to know her. You, you know, know because... that is such a beautiful point, and it's so evidential about the regressions, because if you had simply been using your imagination, you would have imagined that kind of woman, but you right. knew what you were feeling right. from your own past life. Right, and I also knew, I mean, this was another huge thing, is I knew from my regressions that she had no idea that her son was going to die. And in all the movies, like Pride of the Yankees, he goes to the doctor and they say, three strikes and you're out, like you're dying. And they tell him. But when I went to the Hall of Fame library and I found letters from Eleanor to his mother, you know, via an attorney, it says in there that they never even told Lou that he was going to die. And that's why they didn't tell the parents. So really, Lou Gehrig was ripped away from his mother without her even knowing that he was dying. And history does not tell the story that way. So that's history, another wait, reason stop, I wanted wait, to like stop. set the record straight. It's not history. It's Hollywood. Where Hollywood. <laughs> Correct. Hollywood. So Hollywood. So now, yeah, we're going to go back and rewrite that story. Yeah. I love it. That's the problem. We see it in the movies or read it in the papers, and we think that's the truth. And then you actually got to re-experience that. You, you and then felt to find it. those letters that reaffirmed it, like, wow, that was true. It was right, and Hollywood was wrong. And, you know, and like you said, that becomes history when it's really just fiction. Yeah. Wow. So I want to get into the, before we run out of time here in a minute, the deeper metaphysics of all this. But I just have to know, you talked about Christian still playing baseball. Do you see a future for him in professional baseball? Um, you know what? He's very lucky, again, because he's a left-handed pitcher. So as he gets older, there's fewer and fewer left-handed pitchers. And we travel all over the country to play baseball. And um, like last weekend, he played in a big tournament and they get ranked and they get scouted. It's called um, Perfect Game. Mm -hmm. And so he was ranked number one out of 42 pitchers. Um, so he definitely has a skill for it. Um, and he is lucky in that every 
team has to have a few left-handed pitchers and there are very few left-handed pitchers in the oh. world. Wow. <laughs> Is that something so, he wants? Um, yeah, it's something he definitely strives for. So that didn't fade as the memories of Lou Gehrig faded. Right. And we're still focused right now, like on what high school will he go to? He's only in sixth grade. So like, that's our next step. He really would love to go to UCLA and I went to UCLA. So we'll see, you know? Yeah. A lot can change, but how fun. Yeah. And, and how about now your former pastor who told you he was probably possessed talk about <laughs> how you what happened with your belief system now as, as this is progressing and you can't deny it and your relationship with the church well you know what i still um i mean i still go to church and i i don't carry that guilt anymore so it's like not even anything that enters my my consciousness when I'm at church, like, oh, reincarnation's forbidden. And, you know, because I think there's a lot of people, like even people that don't believe in reincarnation, you will still hear them look at a baby and say, wow, that's an old soul. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that's not so forbidden. I think everyone has sensed that before, like a baby who just knows how to put a shirt on, <laughs> you know, like they know to put their arms up. They know it's, it's just as a mother and as the more contact you have with kids, the more you realize there is a knowingness that children are born with. Yeah. Hmm. That it, do you still have the same pastor who told you? Uh, he was a friend of ours. So he was the pastor that married us and he now oh. lives out of town, but we are still friends with him. Yeah. Have you heard his comments on the book? No, I don't know that he's read it. You know, it's yeah. funny. My friends who are in the book too, I don't think they've read it or realized that it's them. Oh, wow. Okay. <sighs> wow. So what have you personally learned about reincarnation then from all of this summarizing it? Um, you know, I would say it goes back to that bigger message is that when these stories do come through, that it really is that higher purpose of sharing with people, you know, what that it can give people hope and faith. So I believe there's a reason why these stories come through and why they need to be told. Um, like I was never a writer, but I was able to write the story, you know, and, and there's other similar stories. Like, look, James Leininger's dad was able to write the story. Like, I feel like they come through and it's kind of our duty even though we might get ridiculed and persecuted for it, um, you know, even doing what you do isn't easy, you know, like there's, there's people out there that, that despise us before they ever know us for what we're doing, but that's okay. You know? Yeah. But that's just an opportunity to stand in your truth and learn that when we become defensive, what are we really defending? Yeah. Let's correct. Correct. And just staying in that place of, I mean, that's why I even like to talk to people who don't like the book or don't agree with the book, as long as they've read it or, you know, I like, I love hearing people's beliefs and I never fault anyone for their beliefs. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I'm just leafing through the book here. And as always, my book is badly dog-eared. I have to tell a funny <laughs> I story. It. I had to tell a funny story. I loaned a book to a neighbor once back in Florida. And she asked to borrow, I don't even remember what it was. And when she gave it back to me, she very happily and pride, with full of pride said, and all of your pages were turned down, so I turned them back for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> like you don't know how hard I work to dog ear all of those yes. pages. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. <laughs> but I did open here on this one page. Um, you had just, I believe it's after you talked with Doc, uh, did a regression. Let me see. You said, could the purpose of life on earth really be that simple? Do you remember what the purpose was? I love that. I love that. So, and I kind of wanted to bring this up. So during the regressions, <laughs> my favorite thing about the Dolores Cannon method, the, it's called quantum healing hypnosis technique, which most people that do past reg life regressions follow that technique. And what they do is they allow you to come in with a list of questions that you can ask of your higher self at the end of the session. And, um, so one of the questions that I had written prior to going under hypnosis was what was the purpose of Lou and Christina coming together in this lifetime as Kathy and Christian? Great and then you answer the question in your own voice, but it's kind of like, you know, your spirit guides leading you to the answer. And so what I answered was to relive the good times and for healing. And mm. so that's what I realized, you know, just now whenever I'm at a baseball game or eating an ice cream cone or swimming in the ocean or, you know, holding the hand of a loved one, like you realize like these physical pleasures of being in a human physical body in time and space, like those really are the moments that we probably long for when we are in spirit form before we decide to jump into this game of life. And like, pick our parents. <laughs> correct. Like that's what we're missing is that physicalness and just the simple, you know, could the meaning of life really be that simple to just enjoy the moments and, you know, yes. eat an ice cream cone, go to the yes. beach. <laughs> yes. And how many of us miss this moment now because we're worrying about the future or fretting about the past or catastrophizing about things that may never come to pass. We're trying to make money. That's another one. <laughs> yeah. All those things that take us away from noticing what we have right here and now, which is why gratitude is so important. But we only have one minute to go in the show. Do you have any final message for people or wisdom for those who are listening based on your experiences with Christian so far? This is still Gosh, I'd say it's still such a work in, in progress, right? Like we're still just enjoying this as long as it lasts and, you know, and just to reach out and, and hug your loved ones, you know, because we're not, we're here in a moment in time and we, we can't take it for granted who's here with us. I love that. So you learned a lot from your past lives, but past life. And if that's the one thing we learn is to carry it forward into this life and say, how can we just continue to love more and, and embrace each other, knowing we may have seen each other in a past life. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you. And I encourage everybody to get the book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much. So thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. 
Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>